Uh, my name's Tommy. I'm the pastor here. I just, I mean, it's just, it's good. We're going through this experience God thing. And if you're just joining with us, we've been going through this thing for about eight weeks. And exactly eight weeks. And this is the week where most people tend to jump off the bus. Most people get off the train in week eight. Because in week eight is when the study begins to talk about, and this is really not just a study, it's when most people begin to check out on their relationship with God, is around this time. When, when what God asks of you is a major adjustment in your life. When God comes along and says, all right, now I want a major adjustment in your life, this is when most of us stop growing, stop stepping, stop moving, because it gets hard. I mean, the stuff that's come before this is difficult, but it's doable. I mean, if you think about it, the, the first crisis of faith, and Chris did a great job talking about this last week, the first crisis of faith was like this moment where you had to give your life to Christ. And for some of you, that was a real difficult choice because some of you have been really good most of your life. Like, I mean, some of you have, have lived righteous lives, and for you, giving your life to Christ was a difficult decision because you were doing pretty good. For me, it wasn't that hard because the life I had been living was garbo, as the kids say. I mean, trash. It wasn't hard for me to make that decision. It wasn't hard for me to see that God was better than me. So that was a, like a minor crisis of faith, but not hard. And then the crisis of faith is, well, now I'm going to start going to church. Well, that's not really, it's not really that hard to come to church here, is it? I mean, the music's okay. The preaching's phenomenal. I mean, the temperature's controlled in here. Like 85% of you smell good. It's not that hard to come to church here. And some of us have been going to church so long, we don't even know why we're doing it. We're just like, I just go to church. This is what I do. Now, if it's your first time to come here, it's a big step. Proud you took it. Uh, but for most of us, guys, we have 168 hours in a week. This one hour doesn't require a major adjustment in your life, right? Or maybe, maybe God is calling you to be generous, and so your adjustment is going to be, you're going to give a, a small percentage of this stimulus check that you didn't earn. And so we're about to get, uh, by the way, if you want to do that, that's great. Don't, I'm not talking you out of that. Do it. It's, do it. Do it. It's good. But like, you got, it's unearned money. So like you've got a pot of unearned money and you're like, okay, God, I'm going to give you 2% of money I didn't earn. Didn't, that's good and righteous and you should do it. But it's not like a major adjustment in your life, is it? Because I mean, you're, you're, you know, you, you're not living off that income. So these things are, they're adjustments and they're tweaks and they're things you should do and it's part of growing, but they're not really major adjustments. But the problem is for most of us, we stop at minor adjustments. We stop at these little crises of faith that don't really take a tremendous amount of faith. And the result of these things is unfinished faith. The result of our unwillingness to make major adjustments is what we end up with is minor faith. Because sometimes to experience the major gifts of God, it takes major adjustments in our lives. And most people just aren't willing to do that. As a matter of fact, around 85%, I, I, mo, you know, y'all know that 72% of statistics are made up on the, on the fly. 82%, 85% of people who come to church never pass this point. That's why Matthew 7, 13, Jesus has this, he's talking to some people and he says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many will enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to, what's that word? Life. Narrow is the road that leads to life, and few will find it. 
was thinking about that this week. There's like 15 big doors to get into this church because we need a lot of doors because there's a lot of people. How many gates, how many doors would we need for a room marked total dependence on God? Let's say we had a room in this building, and to, and to get into it, you had to be willing to actually surrender your entire life to God, every single part of your life, your family, your finances, everything. How big of a gate would we need to get into that room? My guess is narrow. Because the road to get into church is all these doors. And listen, church is good, and you should be here. And I'm not, this is a great step if it's your first step. But for too many people, they never take another step past walking in those big doors. They never take the step through the small door, which enters to life, where you really experience the fullness of what God has to offer. We settle for sitting in church as if this is the end point. This is the beginning. There's more. But we can't be afraid to take that next step because the next step is abundant life. It doesn't require much adjustment to be in here. To get through that gate, you got to adjust yourself. Like I, I can drive a lift through these doors. Y'all know what a lift is? You get in and it goes up and it lifts. You go up and down. I've literally, I hate that. It's the most overused word in the English language, but I've literally driven a lift through that door. I could get through that door with a beach ball, with a whole bunch of stuff, but if I try to get through this gate, I'm going to have to adjust my life. I mean, you, you might have to turn sideways. I'm not because I'm super fit, but some people might have to, you know, do, do some different things to get through this gate. It's going to require some effort and some adjustment in your life. You can't just carry all your stuff through a narrow gate. There's some things you might have to lay down, some things you might have to pick up. It might require a little effort to get through a gate like this, but this is where God wants to take you, to a place where major adjustments are just part of life because you know what you're going to receive is major grace, is better. And so this is what we're talking about today. In our, in our memory verse for this week, it's spoken with that understanding. Luke 14, In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciples. Dang, Gina. Those who don't give up everything can't be. Did, did, did anyone read this this week and go, oh. those of you who don't give up every, I know who took this literally because you slept on the ground last night because you gave up your house. You walked here because you gave up your car and you showed up naked because you gave up your clothes. I can, and I'm looking around I don't know what God's calling you to do, but he did not call you to show up here naked. That I can guarantee. Amen. Hallelujah. I mean, don't you ever read this? Because the problem for most of us is we read a passage like this, and we go, okay, that's impossible for me. I'm out. Or we just say, well, he doesn't really mean it. And those are the two things we do. We don't ever really give it the time to marinate and kind of percolate in our minds. We just, we believe this is impossible, so we walk away from it. And it's hard. When we see passages like that, especially when they're outside of context. So when I see a, a passage like that, there's four words at the beginning of it. In the same way, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. That's the 33rd verse of the 14th chapter, and it starts with in the same way. If that's how that passage starts, what would be a wise thing to do? Read what came before it. And so I do think God wants us prepared to give up everything. But I think there are some adjustments that Christ wants us to make that are specific. And when we understand this, then we can better understand what it means to be willing 
to give up everything. So we're going to jump back to the beginning of this verse, Luke 14, 1, and it says this. By the way, this is, I hope y'all brought your sense of humor today because this is the funniest thing I've read in a while. It says, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. Okay, so it's Sunday, and Jesus is going to eat at the house of a church person, a prominent church person. And there's other church people in there. It's Pharisee. These are these big-time church people. So it says, Jesus is going to eat the house of a prominent Pharisee, and he's being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked him, if you had a child or your ox fell into the well on Sunday, would you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Okay, so, so do y'all ever read the Bible like it's real and like allow yourself to be in this? So this isn't Mark Twain. This is the Bible. This is real. So picture this now. This is where I got amused this week. Jesus walks into a house and everyone's sitting there and they're eating dinner. And over there is a man suffering from abnormal swelling. It's already funny to me. <laughs> Why is he over there? Why is he, in the, it's Sunday, they're not paying any, he's like, he's just sitting over there abnormally swollen and they're like, man, we sure wish we could help you, but it's Sunday and we're eating. So abnormally swollen guys here, Jesus walks into the house has anyone noticed the abnormally swollen man over here? And they're like, no, oh, you know, we were going to help him, but it's Sunday. And Jesus is like, oh, God. So she, I don't get you guys. So Jesus, what he begins to do is he begins to challenge them on what? What's he challenging? He's challenging them on what they believe about God. Because they believe that God is so concerned with the letter of the law that they basically wrote that he doesn't want this man healed. And what Jesus believes is that what God requires is mercy, not sacrifice. What Jesus came to do is help them understand the law that was given by God by what it really meant. And so Jesus goes over to the abnormally swollen man while everyone's eating dinner, and he goes, watch this, guys. And he pops him, and the guy, Shh. all the air comes out. This is how it plays out in my mind. Abnormally swollen man goes back to normal size. And Jesus is like, do you see it now? Do you understand it now? What I want is for you to love people. I know it's Sunday. You can love people on Sunday. I know, I know, trust. And so he's changing what they believe about God. And I believe as we go on this journey with Christ, one of the very first things Jesus wants to do, uh, the, one of the very first things he wants us to give up is our belief about God. For some of us, we have been holding on to beliefs about God that need to be adjusted. I'll give you a for instance. For me, one of my prayers for my life this year is that I would learn to fear God. When I first gave my life to Jesus, I loved him, but I didn't fear him. And when I say fear, I don't mean be scared. I don't mean fear like you would fear, you know, an abusive uh, parent or the boogeyman or so. I don't mean that kind of fear. I mean fear as in awe and respect and understanding that he is God. And yes, he is good and he is kind, but he is also the author of the universe. He has swallowed armies. He can do whatever he wants. He can take life and he can give life and he is everything. And if that God tells me to talk, I better talk. And if he tells me to move, I better move. And if he tells me to speak, I better do it. And if he tells me to be silent, whatever he says, I better listen because he's God. And for too many of us, we still think he's our homeboy. 
Like, whatever you want to do, he's like, oh, that's a good idea, dog, do it. No, don't worry about what I said. Just do what you want to do. That's not God. And we got this picture, because we've seen all these pictures of this blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus who looks like Brad Pitt. He was the only Middle Eastern man alive who had blonde hair and blue eyes and looked like Brad Pitt, apparently. And he's petting a sheep, and all these pictures were like, oh, Jesus is soft. Jesus isn't soft. It is true that his love goes far beyond anything you can ever imagine, but it's also true that he's coming back with fire in his eyes with a sword in his hand to separate the wheat from the chaff. And we better believe them both because they're both God and they're both Jesus. Now, God, God is the God of the sparrows, right? This God with all this power and all this might still cares enough to hold a sparrow in his hand. He cares about every single thing you are dealing with, but when he tells that sparrow to fly, I better spread it wings and fly. We must come to understand who God is, to respect him, to know that this is not a God that we can manipulate into our image. This is a God who's changing us into his image, and it's different. We don't bargain with this God. We don't manipulate this God. We just do what he says, because on the other side of that is life, and it's hard, and it's an adjustment. But it's an adjustment we have to make if we're going to experience what God has for us. And so as we begin to adjust our belief about who God is, and God is good, and God is kind, and God is righteous, but God is also God. Like, he's all-powerful. And as we begin to understand that, it begins to change the belief we have about ourselves. Listen to Luke 14, 7. This is good. It says, so this is a guy, and he's, he's invited a bunch of people to a wedding banquet, and this is, he's telling this parable, and it says, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. Oh, that's good. If you sit in the wrong seat because the host invited you both, then he will come to you and say, I'm sorry. This is awkward you're going to have to get up and go to a lesser seat. And you'll be taken to the seat of the lowest place, the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. That way when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So as you begin to shift your view about God, you also need to adjust and give up your view about yourself. And the view you have to give up is... The honored seat at the table does not belong to you. You're not the guest of honor at the table. This is like the hardest thing for us to get, that God is more important than us, that his will trumps our will. But how many times has God asked us to do something, and the first thing we think is, well, how, how's that going to affect me? God asks you to give. Well, how's that going to affect my bank account? God asks you to serve. How's that going to affect my time? God asks you to do something. How's that going to affect my world? It's all about me. But as we begin to shift our view about God, we, we understand that's not the way it was supposed And it's not our fault. We were raised to believe the world revolved around us. We've all got these little kids, and we look at them, and we're like, oh, the whole world revolves around you. You're so special, blah, blah, blah. Our kids are average at best. <laughs> no offense, Caden. I, you might be, I love you. But like, their kids are, they're not extreme. I mean, they're kids. They're great kids, but we tell them the whole world revolves around them, and then they grow up. They grow up believing the whole world revolves around me because my mommy told me that, and then one day they learn, 
all right? It doesn't. But we brainwash, and so they're egocentric, and so we come to God with the same egocentric mentality that the whole world revolves around us, and we get to him, and you're not, we're like, God, I want you to treat me like my mommy treated me, I, I, me, 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 and God goes, I'm not your mommy, I'm your daddy, and I'm in charge. You're a little confused about how this thing is going to work. And God loves you, and he cares about you, but it's not about us. And on the other side of that view is not misery. On the other side of that view is not, oh, I'm not going to get that car. I'm, on the other side of that view is life. On the other side of that narrow gate is life that leads to freedom, is this understanding there's something bigger than me going on. And when you understand that, you're set free to do the things that you will not do if you're the center of your story. And so God begins to adjust your view of God. And he begins to adjust your view of self. And then he begins to adjust your view of what the invitation really is. And this is my favorite part of the story. Luke 14, 16. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, Come, everything is ready. And they all began to make excuses. So the king is inviting these people to come dine with him, to come participate, and they all begin to make excuses. And listen to their excuses. The first one said, I just bought a field. Super busy. You bought a field? Like, that's your excuse? And the second one said, I would love to come to the party, but I bought five yoke of oxen. And no one even knows what that is. They're like, what? Five yoke of oxen? And then the third one says, I would love to come, but I just got married. You know, I'd love to hang out, but you know her. She's old ball and chain. Can't do it. And so these are the excuses. Then the owner of the house gets angry and he sends his servant. He says, go out in the streets and the alleys and bring me the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Bring me the people who think they need me. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done and there's still room. Then the master said, well, go to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in. I want my house full, but I tell you, not one of those people who ignored my invitation will taste my banquet. When you know who God is, and you know who you are, and you hear something like that, it should adjust what you think about the invitation. What God is inviting us to is not a funeral, it is a banquet. And we make excuses. Like excuses like I got a field. This reminds me of high school, I asked a girl out, and she's like, I gotta wash my hair. She's like, I'm still dating your best friend. Some stupid excuse to not go out with me. I mean, it's ridiculous. Like God is doing so much for us and we just can't see it because of our excuses. What is God inviting you to when God invites you to serve or give or go or talk or whatever? Is he inviting you to something that's death? It's life. What excuse have you, be honest, just in your head, you don't have to say it out loud, I guess you could. What excuse have you made this week that's as bad as that? What's God asking you to do? I cry, you know, you know some things God is asking you to do. What sort of excuses are you making? Where in your life do you need to adjust what you really believe about God? Because would you make the same excuse if you really believe that he is who I just said he was a minute ago? What do you need to adjust about yourself? Guys, I'm not saying baby thinking is bad. Baby thinking is good for babies. 
Uh, and it, it is good that babies feel like they're the center of the world. And it's good that kids feel protected and loved and, and cherished. But when I was a child, I thought as a child, there comes a time when I must think as a man. And I must see that I'm not the center of the world. There's something bigger going on. What needs to be adjusted in your head about the way you think about yourself? And then what needs to be adjusted in your heart about what God is really inviting you to do? Man, you guys come on up here. We're going to sing a song. We're going to end different this week than we normally end. Sometimes we end, you know, and it's, I'm, I make some profound statement and we end heavy with, but not today. Y'all go ahead and stand up, as a matter of fact. I want us to end this by remembering who God really is. I want us to end this in praise and celebration and thanksgiving because he is God and he's good. And I want you guys to remember, this is not a funeral. This is a party. God is not inviting you to, Jesus didn't say, I came so that you could have kind of life and it would be okay. He said, I came so that you would have abundant life. And abundant life should be experienced in this place. And abundant life should be, should be celebrated together with a room full of people who are all having abundant life. And so when we sing this song, remember who he really is. Remember who you really are. And remember what God is really asking you to do. And as you think about it, ask yourself, does my excuse make sense in light of a God who's good and almighty? Praise him when the sun goes down. 
Love him in the morning, love him in the noontime, love him when the sun goes down. Good God Almighty, I hope you'll find me. Praising your name no matter what comes. Cause I know where I'd be without your mercy. So I can praise your name at the top of my lungs. Tell me, is he good? Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the noontime, Jesus when the sun goes down.